0: Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to gather today. And we pray that as we study your word, that you give us the ability to know your presence and to do what is right. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I ask you to join me, please, in the book of John. John chapter 11. We're picking up where we left off last week. Last week we talked about how that uh, Jesus had told his disciples that they were going to go to Lazarus. And and uh, some of the guys said, but uh, Lord, they were trying to stone you. Don't you care about that? And he said that uh, we must go and wake him. And they said, well, if he's asleep, then he will wake up. He says, no, he's actually dead. And verse 16 said that Thomas uh, said, let us go also so that uh, we would even die with him if if that's what it takes. So now I ask you to join me in, in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And and I want to stop there for a moment and talk about this idea, why is the four days significant? Well, first of all, from a physical standpoint, it's very important because uh, they didn't bomb people. And so, if they buried somebody at uh, the day they died, uh, their body would decompose very quickly. And another reason this is significant is because the rabbis would teach that if you were in the grave longer than three days, then you could not be... able to come back, that they thought that the spirit stayed close to the physical body for three days. And so this way Jesus made sure that Lazarus was gone long enough that it took away any other explanation other than a work of God. In verse 18 it says, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met Him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I want you to look at verse 21 and see at least two things wrong with this. First of all, there's the assumption that Jesus is limited by location. And we know that Jesus healed from a distance, But here, she's saying, uh, my brother died because you was not here. Secondly, the, the idea that if Jesus had been there, then Lazarus would not have died says, if you had been here, then nothing bad would happen to us. And clearly, that is not scriptural as well. In fact, if you go back to verse 15, what did Jesus say? He said to His disciples, I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there. Why? Because so that you may believe So number one in your sheets this morning, I want to ask you this question. What kind of limitations does your faith have? What kind of limitations are you putting on Jesus Christ with your faith? Maybe those limitations deal with topics such as your health and relationships. Maybe finances. Maybe it's something to do with uh, your spiritual life. And sometimes people say things like, well, God can't forgive me because I've done so many things wrong. Or, or maybe God won't answer my prayers because I haven't said or done enough things that are good. And sometimes our limitations are there because we don't have the biblical knowledge that we should have. When we don't know God's Word, then we base our ideas on what we think it should be like. In verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, verse 22 sounds so positive. But you have to ask yourself, how much faith does she really have in Jesus? Because in verse 39 when Jesus says, Take away the stone, Martha the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for days. So if you combine these two verses, uh, Martha was saying, Jesus I believe you can do anything but don't move that stone because it's too late. So you got faith and then you've got fear tied together in the same statement. And is that how we pray? Do we pray with faith and then immediately shoot it down by our fear and doubt and unbelief? Or do we pray saying, Lord, I know that you can do this, and then actually trust that to happen? So number two in your sheet, how much do you really believe about what you say about Jesus? How much do you really believe about what you say about Jesus? Do you really believe what you say about Jesus? He says... I am the resurrection. She says, I know that. But still does not understand that he has the ability to take care of the situation, even though he's been gone for four days. How often do we say, oh, I love Jesus and I have faith. But yet then when the time comes, do we still have that faith we talked about when things were going so well? We say, I want to please God, but then when we are tempted we often choose to please ourselves instead of God. In verse 23, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now, again, this this statement, this proclamation that she's making sounds so positive, and yet at the same time, she does not understand exactly what Jesus is saying because of the limitations that she's put on it. But I do want you to recognize that she does make this statement, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. This is what we saw when uh, Peter answered the question, Who do you say that I am? And Jesus saw the, the disciples, and Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So here we see that Jesus is the resurrection. She doesn't understand it yet. Matthew Henry says that for the body here is the promise of the blessed resurrection. For the soul here is the promise of blessed immortality. Daily we hear about people passing away and I want you to see number three on your sheet this morning that as Christians we should see death differently than the world sees it. As Christians we should see death differently than the world sees it. Look at what he says in verse 25 and 26, "...whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die." So, in other words, we will face a a physical death, but we will have eternal life. And I've given you several verses here from the book of John. I'm not going to read all of these, but you'll see the, the repetition of the idea of uh, everlasting life, passing from death to life, uh, being raised on the last day, and so forth. Uh, I will give them eternal life. But what about the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6? So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 8 of the same chapter. Yes, we have a good church, a courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, this really gives us a great understanding of what Paul was saying. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, if somebody says that you do not go straight to God's presence as a believer when you pass away, then Paul's statement makes no sense whatsoever. Paul said that if I'm alive I can preach the Gospel, if I am dead I go straight to Him. Why would he say it is better if nothing happened until Jesus came back? Why would he say it's better if He was stuck in the ground all that time? But instead He said to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. And then the First Thessalonians 4.13 and you can read that section there in that passage but, but the verse 13 says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep or those who have passed on in Christ. He says why? I don't want you to grieve as others do who have no hope. And so we have the confidence that through Christ we will be in heaven. We have the confidence through Christ that we can have eternal life. verse 28. When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, the message is the same, but the approach is different. Notice in verse 32 she fell at his feet. Isn't it interesting that this woman had a different approach just like she did in Luke chapter 10 when Jesus was at their house and Mary was uh, listening and Martha was, was cooking and everything else. And she says, don't you care that my sister is not helping me? And he said that she is doing the right thing. But again, her thinking is if Jesus had been there, nothing bad would have happened. In verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? They had two uh, opposing ideas. One was the positive, look how much he loved this man. And the second one was, if he could help the blind man, why couldn't he help Lazarus stay alive? But again, we know that this happened for the opportunity for God to be glorified in this process. Now, I want you to look at verse 35, such a simple verse, two words, Jesus wept, and there's been a lot of discussion about why He was weeping. And number four on your sheet, I'd like you to write this down, we should be silent about the topics when the Bible is silent. There's a lot of speculation about why He was weeping. Even people uh, standing their ground saying, this is why it happened. Some are saying he was uh, weeping because he was surrounded by unbelief. And some says that he was weeping because uh, he was hurt seeing uh, Mary and Martha grieving. Others were saying he was weeping because Lazarus was already in the presence of God and having to come back to this world to die again. But what I want you to notice is, is that in verse 33, 35... And we see it again. The idea that he is moved in his spirit. He's greatly troubled. He wept. Uh, he is groaning. He is showing us emotions because he was fully man as well as fully God. And this is important because in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. If He has been tempted in every way He has also experienced everything that we have experienced, so He is able to help us in those moments. He is not clueless to what we are going through. In fact, one thing that I know for certain is He was not crying or weeping because He felt helpless, He was not crying because He felt fearful, and He was not crying because He was uncertain about what would happen next. Jesus knew what was going to happen. So, when we don't know what happened in the Bible, let us stick with what the Bible says and leave it at that. In this case, Jesus wept. I mean how often have we taken our opinions and our own perspective and said well this happened because of, for example, sometimes I've heard people say well uh, that country had an earthquake because of their great sin Or, or maybe this sickness happened to this person because of this person's sin or they lost their job because of sin. How quickly are we to speak to those things that we don't even know what's really going on and we should stick to Scripture and leave it at that. again in verse 38, Jesus was deeply moved. He came to the tomb, it was a cave, and the stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. I want you to, to imagine that you are Martha, and you have an opportunity to have your brother back with you, but you don't understand what Jesus is doing. And when He says, move the stone, you are more concerned about the odor that would be there because of what's going on than the power of Jesus doing something, even though you said you believed that Jesus is the resurrection. So here's a question that I want you to think about today. And this is number five on your sheet. Think about how different this story would have been if Jesus had said, okay, as you wish, and went on about his business. What if he said, okay, you don't want the stone removed, that's up to you, let's just go on and have a good day. What I'm saying is this, when you compare this story to what we read in Matthew chapter 9, Verse 27 to 29, it says that Jesus passed on from there and two blind men followed him crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to him, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. Now, when Martha said, don't roll the stone away because he's been dead for days, her faith was not showing that she understood what Jesus was trying to do. But again, this miracle did not happen because of Martha's faith. This miracle happened, as we saw back in verse 4, for the glory of God so that the Son of God would be glorified through it. Now, I want to stop for a moment. First of all, Jesus says in verse 40, Did I not tell you? He gave her a a loving rebuke. Didn't I tell you I was going to take care of this? And they moved the stone, and I want you to see what he does in verse 41 and 42. He's praying to God, but he's doing this. What does it say? I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He is not contradicting what he said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 when he said, When you pray you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. He wasn't praying in front of others to be seen as somebody special and get treated differently. He was praying so that he would be validated by what God was about to do. I said this on account of the people staying around, that they may believe that you sent me. He is trying to make sure that God is glorified, and as God is glorified, He also is glorified, and what God has sent Him to do will be validated. And so we see in verse 43, He calls Lazarus by name. And the man who has died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, And his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Now, what I found those interesting here is the fact that the Jews did not wrap the bodies tight like the Egyptians did. It was rather loosely fit wrap, and then it would have a separate wrap for the head. And this is why he was able to move. But look what he says, Unbind him and let him go. I want to close this morning with two verses we've read recently in John chapter 8. Or the the first passage is John 8, 31-32. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then in John 8, verse 36, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Lazarus has been raised from the dead. He has been told to... Uh, um, to go, to live, to live his life, to please God, and we see him later on in chapter 12. So I encourage you right now to be uh, living for God, not just uh, alive, but also living in Him, serving Him, worshiping Him, obeying Him, not to be uh, bound up by anything this world tries to put upon us. And so as we see this passage of Scripture, we realize that Jesus has no limits. His power is not limited to location. His power is not limited to time. His power is not limited to life. He is over all. And so I encourage you this morning to put your faith in Jesus Christ, knowing that He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words, such power that is shown through Jesus Christ, and we thank you for how you worked through this situation, showing them that his words were not empty promises, but he delivered in such a powerful way. Father, you told us over and over in your word how much you love us and how much you will take care of us, and sometimes we still put limitations on you. But Father, help us walk by faith and not by sight. And help us to stand firm on your truth and to know that you are who you say you are. I pray for those that are hurting, that you would minister to them. And I pray for those who are are trying to find answers, that you would lead them. And Father, I pray for our nation. As your will is done, empower us to make a difference in the way that you want us to do it. As a voice, as salt, and as truth. Help us to do so in a loving way. And do it in a way that not only glorifies you, but edifies our brothers. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.